0: Welcome to the History of the Batman with London, brought to you by Meltdown Comics and Collectibles in Hollywood, California. This is where we relive the defining moments of one of the most iconic figures in comic art and literature, the Batman. My name is Adam Silverstein, and as always, I'm joined by London. From the shadows, I don't know if he'll be making an appearance today because he's in some deep shadows, but there is Shadow Adam lurking. History of the Batman with London is produced and engineered by Mason Booker. And I'd like to say, how are you doing, London?
1: I'm great. How are you doing?
0: <laughs> well, I am good. I am good. We had an incredible show last week with Jason Sean Alexander. And, um, I mean, what do you think of that?
1: I thought it was great. And I really liked the fact that he talked about... His creative process and getting into the industry, and I think for a lot of people who are trying to do the same thing right now, it wasn't just a show talking about his craft, but also giving advice to people who want to do the same.
0: Yeah. I think another thing that it showed or that he talked about, which really stood out in my mind, was just his dedication to the craft. Yes. I mean, I tend to think of an artist as a free-flowing spirit who, whenever he gets a or she gets a urge to start doing art of any sort that they might be doing, they just do it. comes natural. I feel it. I do it. But man, he wakes up at, what, seven in the morning, six in the morning, gets to the table. He
1: has a full routine. Yeah. That's
0: (laughs) impressive. I guess that's how you got to do it when you're doing comics, especially. Professional stuff. So, what are we going to talk about today?
1: Well, today we are going to focus on five essential Batman one shot comics. There are tons and tons of Batman comic book arcs that are filled with three to four to five or even more issues, and it's a full story. But the one shots are important as well because It gives the creator the ability to really go outside the box, go outside of what Batman or any superhero or hero is doing within the regular continuity, within the regular timeline. And I picked five Batman one shots that I think are important, not just because what it brings in the story, but they each show a different type of Batman that I think readers who are interested in getting into comics or reading more Batman comics should definitely look into.
0: Now, we've had a show on Elseworlds. Yes, Wh- which is how- fun. What's that? <laughs> which was fun. It, I love Elseworlds. Well, <laughs> so I'm trying to figure out what's the difference between a one-shot and Elseworlds.
1: A one-shot is a s- one single comic book that's not tied to any continuity usually one shots or graphic novels they are not within canon and they tell a whole different story and usually the format the actual format of the comic book sometimes if it's one story it can go for as long as 60 pages 90 pages 100 pages whereas the usual comic book story if that are where um, they're usually about about thirty pages. Elseworlds is a whole different imprint within DC Comics. It's a publication where it's clearly stated that this is an outside continuity book, and usually the story is definitely out of this world. So a one shot can technically be an Elseworld, but Elseworlds are defined specifically. Usually, one-shots are labeled with a number one, let's say. I see. And so you'll definitely know the difference. If you're reading an Elseworlds, it'll say on the cover Elseworlds. It'll have that symbol. If you're reading a one-shot, it'll usually be a number one, or it'll be stated that it's a graphic novel.
0: So can an Elseworld be a one-shot?
1: Yes, an Elseworld can be a one-shot. For example, the first Elseworld, even though it wasn't labeled on the book, the first Elseworld is Batman, Gotham by Gaslight, and that technically is a one-shot. There's no story that follows it. It's just one story within its own universe, within its own time era. So that technically can be considered both, so okay. it's possible.
0: So it's possible. So what were your criteria for picking one-shots? If I know you said some stuff, but is there... Any specific criteria that you can, again, identify?
1: The five that I picked definitely, they all have a very strong story because there are so many Batman stories out there. And even though I love Batman and I love reading all different stories, some are notably more important than others. There are Batman stories that it's just there is this crook or there is a criminal or there's something wrong. Batman finds out what it is and he stops it. There are, that's a lot of the Batman detective comics, all of those stories. But I picked ones that I think give a really great story. Some give an important story to Batman's mythology and all on their own, they're great standalone tales. You don't need a follow up book. Because I think sometimes with one shots or else worlds or books that just have by themselves, you can continue the story. You can have a part two or a sequel. But these stories by themselves, I think, are strong enough that any Batman fan can go into it and say that's a great story and they don't need more they don't need to grab more or know oh what's going to happen next they're satisfied with the story
0: all right also before we get to that there's been a lot of news about Dark Knight 3 yes (laughs) are you prepared to give us a little something about that at the end of the show
1: definitely I will talk about the news that Came up in this past New York Comic Con, actually, that just passed, and all of the news about variants. And there's so much coming out about this concluding book. It's really exciting. I, I can't wait to read it. So, yeah, for, for sure. <laughs> There's
0: also been a lot of discussion about Frank Miller's artwork to the cover yes. of the uh, Ashcan, or what is it, the mini-comic?
1: Yes, the mini-comic of the Superman and the Atom.
0: The way he drew Superman? Yes. People we, are we, freaking out. We,
1: we can talk about that, Okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, wow. It's, uh, it's the frenzy people yes. are foaming at the mouth over that thing
1: yes but then the next day he comes out with another book and it's a batman cover and everyone loves it so uh, we'll we'll go all into right
0: all right we'll get into we'll it go all, go into that. <laughs> all right let's talk one shots
1: okay so one
0: first one shot give me or are you are the oh sorry are these in a particular order
1: we're going in chronological order. So. so it has
0: nothing to do with your favorite. Right. It has nothing
1: okay. to do with my favorite. And I just wanted to point out that even before one shots and graphic novels were being labeled as such, and that was particularly starting in the mid 1980s, there were stories within Batman and Detective Comics, the publication. Where there were arcs, there are about two or three books that contained a story that all linked to each other. But then there were times where there was one story that was that seemed random, that didn't tie into anything before or after. And an example is Batman two ninety six, where he Batman goes up against Scarecrow, and there's no beginning or and there's no two ninety five or two. 97 97, they don't they don't match with that one so there those are considered one shots and another one is batman 356 and he fights hugo strange and those are in the late 70s early 30 or late 70s early 80s and that didn't happen a lot i think
0: this is not these are not your top five no they're not
1: i'm just giving examples that before we get into the one shots and kind of the era of one shots you're laying the
0: foundation yeah they would just throw in one shot stories in the middle of us continuity
1: yes exactly and they and they weren't labeled one shots it's just that was just a story maybe the writer just wanted to write about scarecrow and they just felt like it, but that's all just to say that there were stories like this that didn't have, that wasn't within an arc, that was in continuity, and sometimes they had stories like imaginary stories, and there are a lot of different types of comics with before we get into the one-shots and the term graphic novel kind of came into play, where they were kind of random within the line of Batman books. So I just kind of wanted to put that out there, kind of give it a little bit of a context, because our first graphic novel comes in 1988. Our first graphic, oh, okay. One-shot graphic novel. All right,
0: I'm going to get confused here. <laughs>
1: we usually, well, and it's funny, because even going into the term graphic novel, it literally is a book with illustration right. and for a lot of writers and creators at the time when they just started to use the term they felt that it was insulting because people didn't want to call them comic books and then others thought that graphic novel was just a nicer way of saying comics and there was a little debate on that but we'll stick with the term one shot just so everyone is all on the same page all right one so, shot one shot So number
0: five.
1: So this one is from 1988 and it is my personal favorite Batman graphic novel. And I'm not I didn't put it in there because it's my favorite, but because it is an important one shot. And that is Alan Moore and Brian Bowen's Batman, The Killing Joke.
0: Killing Joke. I've never heard of that. (laughs) Just kidding.
1: (laughs) But it is a one shot. And it came out, and it's a 64 pages. So, like I said, it's a story all on its own. And when it was originally written, it was considered out of continuity, didn't and wasn't within the regular timeline. It was a 64 page story, and it was essentially a Joker origin story.
0: You didn't put that in your Batman 101, did you? If I, I remember correctly, I don't correctly. think
1: I. Because you
0: said it was a Joker oriented story and not right, a Batman. Right, and
1: not a Batman. And for the Batman one one, I kinda wanted it to be more well rounded. Right, right, But I do think that even though lots of other things happen in this comic that people perhaps remember more than even what more was go more was going towards is that this is a Joker book. This is a book about Joker's origin story and Brian Boland's art definitely brought out a lot of kind of the tragic background that you never really see with Joker, but they redid his origin story from 1951 with the Red Hood, which basically wasn't early in Batman's fighting days. He fought a group or a gang within a chemical factory, and then to escape the character, the red hood jumped into a vat of chemicals. And then he emerged and the chemicals changed his skin, his hair, and he turned into the Joker. And so even from that 1951 story, Joker in a way blames Batman for turning him into that. And so more redid that origin story but added a background we don't have a name for joker and that's what i personally like about joker is that you don't have you don't know the background even though the story gives an origin story even joker says sometimes i can't even keep it straight it's at times multiple choice so it's not even something that is reassuring that oh this is how the joker came to be this could be just one of many stories that Joker has, but this Red Hood tale seems to play more popular, especially later on when the character Jason Todd returns and he becomes the Red Hood. So it kind of makes this the most popular Joker story. Yeah. And it's what's, crazy
0: how they kept him a mystery still.
1: Right. It is. There's,
0: it's like the old Wolverine. Like for so long, Wolverine, you never knew what his origin story was and then they came out with origin to kind of give you an idea of what it is but there was all this mystery for so long it sounds like that's what they've done with joker
1: right and even in this story where we see that he has he's a failed comedian and he has a wife who is pregnant and he's trying to have and try to support his growing family and yet you still don't get a name you don't know his name you just know that he's just this struggling comedian and then he tries to help his family and he gets roped up into these these criminals who want him to sneak into a factory he used to work in and have and so they can go in and steal and everything, and he originally doesn't want to partake in this crime, but he's struggling so much and wants to provide for his family, he decides that okay, I'll do it. And then you learn that his wife tragically is killed along with the baby, and he loses his family. And this is all within the same period of time, so the same day. And even though he's like, well, I have nothing else to really provide for. I don't want to do this anymore with these crooks. But they said, nope, you're in it. And there's nothing you can do about it. Then the same day, they go to the chemical plant. And the Batman comes. And then the same story happens where Joker, with who is dressed in a red hood costume. It's a black and white suit with a tall red hood. And he falls into the vat, and he emerges with white skin, green hair, this permanent smile, and he literally goes insane because within this 24 hours, his life drastically changed for the worse, and he became the Joker. And that, by itself, that's the main part of Moore's story. It's just what adds after, it's the present day that people I think remember the most it's because Joker knows that it took one day this horrible day where he lost his family he lost his sanity and he becomes this horrible monster of sorts that before he was a normal guy just trying to do good for him and his family so he wants to prove to Commissioner Gordon, who is the head of the GCPD and to Batman and to everyone that you can have one bad day. Any man, any sane person can have one bad day and it will make turn them to madness. And so the moment that everyone remembers now is that at his home Commissioner Gordon is there and his daughter Barbara Gordon is there. And they're talking, and then the doorbell rings. Barbara opens the door, and it's Joker and his goons. And Joker shoots Barbara, and she flies across the room into the coffee table, and he has shot her. And then he kidnaps Gordon. And just with that alone, the fact, just the violence by itself was shocking to all of the readers, I'm pretty sure.
0: And then he (laughs) created a whole new character, an oracle.
1: Right. And
0: which they took and I remember you telling this where they actually loved this story so much and they meaning DC that they actually made it a part of the regular continuity.
1: Exactly.
0: And then Barbara Gordon became Oracle where she stopped being Batgirl and started helping the DC universe is the computer whiz behind and information. the
1: brilliant computer hacker that she is that helps the whole DC multiverse. And that's one of the reasons why this one shot is on the list because it went from being not in continuity to one of the most important Batman stories in his continuity.
0: (laughs) And now there's some new news about this particular story, right?
1: Oh, definitely. There's going to be an animated feature film created from this story batman the killing joke is coming out next year and just recently at new york comic-con it was announced that there's a possibility that the that the film could be r-rated oh boy which is considerably a big deal because if you think about it at least comic book animated movies right they're they're not rated r
0: unless they're in japanese Um,
1: right but if we're looking at dc and marvel and the mainstream ones that heavy metal
0: (laughs) (laughs) did you see that one
1: (laughs) yeah and it's those it's like okay that's fine but when you're thinking about these movies that all everyone watches. Now, nah, right. It's... You got a
0: kid that's potentially going to look at Batman, you don't expect it to be a rated R movie. Exactly. But these are the straight to DVD ones now and they right. they've had a little leeway.
1: Yes, and the DC animated films that are out now, especially now they're more all New 52 oriented, they are pretty violent and it is a little more mature for kids, I think, but they do I think they do they do them really well, and a lot of times they really match the comic. So I don't. I think that's one of the reasons why they're like it could be rated R. Is this going to be
0: rated open. R based on violence, or do you think there'll be some sexual s- scenes or promiscuous I mean, scenes? That- I'm
1: not sure. I know it's definitely will be violence. Is and even if it's just showing Barbara get shot. I think they may go a little bit more into Joker and Barbara at that moment and they may reference something that could be somewhat sexual. I'm not really sure, but if it's rated R, they can they can go all out. They whatever they're thinking or however they want to portray this moment because there's still people or there's still arguments wondering what joker actually did to barbara because we know that he took pictures because gordon saw the pictures when he was caged at the amusement park and he saw bleeding and crying and naked so we know that he undressed her but you Mm. don't see anything else past that point so
0: no one knows whether he sexually assaulted her
1: exactly and of course many people are like well of course he did why would he undress her
0: i guess that innuendo is enough to rate it r
1: right so it could be just that alone That and there might be nudity, I'm not sure. So, there could be different avenues they can take where it would be pushed way more. Okay, this isn't PG 13.
0: Spawn, did you ever see that cartoon?
1: Yes, that's rated R. (laughs) Yeah, so it's, I think, for I think it's more you're not used to seeing the comic book cartoons, some of them rated R. I think it's a little much, and even people were a little surprised when they they announced that Batman vs. Superman was rated PG thirteen. Which makes sense. It's live action. There's going to be violence and then it says there's some sensuality and it's for the storyline and for what's in the story it it, it makes sense the ratings and what should happen. And I think I would be a little disappointed if they held back, especially right. with this story, because even though it is violent and the acts are horrible and people still rant and rave about that this was awful, it's still a brilliant story all on its own.
0: Right. So keep the integrity of it. Rate it R. Don't let your kids see it.
1: <laughs> right. But know
0: that it's amazing, and when they get older, they can watch it. All right.
1: And and just lastly with the Killing Joke, it is a Joker origin story. It does change the life of Barbara Gordon. She becomes paralyzed from the waist down and then about a year In time later, she becomes the character, Oracle, who is amazing, and for the next 25 years, she's this persona. But this comic also really shows the dynamic between Joker and Batman and kind of the yin and yang relationship that they have. And I think this book really established that and then further on creators kind of kept that within their comics within the within television within movies and overall it's an important story and it's a great read and whether you read the original with the coloring by John Higgins which I love because it's so bright and vibrant the orange and the blues and the greens and then or if you have the 2008 deluxe edition where and recolored it, and it's more subtle, yet it's still very powerful. Either way, it's a great one-shot to read if you haven't read it.
0: Yeah, and I I was just looking online, and it seems like... I mean, obviously, they're coming out with reprints every moment. You can easily get one at a relatively inexpensive price. But even the first prints, I'm looking, they're not really that much, I think... I mean, if it's graded and it's in, you know, the comic, whatever that, C- oh CGC. Oh, the CGC. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it here's a nine point eight for two hundred and twenty four dollars. If yeah, you, you yeah, know,
1: for a first edition. For a first
0: edition, that's yeah. really not that bad. I mean, we're talking about one of the most important stories around. Yeah. Shadow, I, Shadow, Adam. What What are you saying oh, over there, Shadow?
1: He's pointing to me because for. For Christmas one year, he got me a CGC first edition Aww. of the ki- of the Killing Joke with Brian Boland's signature. Oh, so and he won't tell me how much it was, so I don't know. <laughs> well, this th- none of these
0: are <laughs> but- <laughs> signed, but it looks like we're talking anywhere from you know one hundred fifty to about three hundred. So, yeah, then,
1: it depends. I I guess.
0: Yeah, and then you can get ones that aren't graded. You know. $51, there's one here for Yeah. So, and, you know.
1: And what's interesting is, especially since I think with the news, with the with it being an animated film next year, The Killing Joke is still one of the highest-selling books right now.
0: I'm interested in what Shadow Adam bought that for. You know?
1: <laughs> he didn't tell me. I asked. I'm like, how much is this? This is ridiculous. I wonder but...
0: if you closed your ears and you could tell the listening <laughs> audience. <laughs> No, don't. Don't be
1: <laughs> No, I'm, I am perfectly content without knowing, but it is one of my greatest prizes. Yeah, it's not missions. like you would
0: sell it anyway.
1: <laughs> of course not.
0: <laughs> All right. Okay. What's One Shot 2?
1: One Shot 2 comes a year later in 1989, and it's Grant Morrison's Arkham Asylum, A Serious House on Serious Earths. And that is a fantastic fantastic one shot it's one book there's no sequel anything it's a great standalone story it came out october 1989 it was written by grant morrison and it was illustrated by dave mckean and if people remember from last week's episode with jason sean alexander he said that joker's mckean is the joker to him and i kind of agree i love brian boland's joker Personally, that is my favorite stylized Joker. But the way that all of these characters in this story are represented, there is a lot of psychological process going on here. I am looking at
0: some pictures online of this Joker, and it is creepy. (laughs) Definitely. Right? That's it? Yes. It's like a painted, just... Totally abstract.
1: It's very abstract, very surreal. It's it,
0: it again, it seems to evoke emotion rather than anything else. Right. I mean
1: definitely.
0: And that's and you know what's interesting? I mean, that's what Jason Sean Alexander that's also a lot what uh, Kelly Jones talked about. Yes. These are artists who really evoke emotion with Batman. Right. And it doesn't seem like there's many other characters that And maybe I'm missing something, but it doesn't seem like there's many other characters that really lend themselves to this.
1: Right, and I think the biggest reason why is because Batman, he's human, so you have so much to work with. He has all of these emotions that everyone has, whereas there are some characters who, even though everyone feels and all of that, it's just Batman... He, has a, he is kind of a tortured soul, in a yeah. sense. The fact that he became Batman is a tragic reason. He lost his parents. He's avenging right. them. He wants to strike fear in the hearts of criminals. And all of that, it's all so dark, and it's all so tragic.
0: Well, I would definitely, on art alone, recommend that the listeners read this. I mean, this right. is absolutely bananas. I have never uh, seen this or read this one. I'd like to read this.
1: It's it's fantastic. I mean his two
0: faces, scary,
1: right? And the story itself, in a way, just the basic what it is, it's it's rather simple. It's bat. There's a riot in at Arkham Asylum, and Batman has to come and stop it. And there are the rogues are loose, and so you get to he interacts with all of these different characters. Two faces is very interesting because his mind is deteriorating. Usually he has the coin that everyone knows. One half is scarred and the other half is normal. And he flips the coin and that makes all of his decisions, whatever it may be. And yet his doctor gave him, a dice, a die. And so he has all of these different choices and it's so almost confusing for him that he's literally dying. It's he can't it's not making a one or the other decision. And then you have the Mad Hatter, who of course is a reference to Alice in Wonderland just by itself, but then you have kind of this creepy pedophilia feel to him. And McKean definitely evokes that. With his art. And you even see Killer Croc. Who usually Killer Croc. he's just looks like kind of half human. Half Croc. But he looks like this very. Diseased kind of Croc. It's really interesting. Right, like it's a just,
0: human that has reptile disease. Right.
1: It's all very dramatic. The way it's presented. And then Joker. Who like you said, the way that all of them are drawn, it's very surreal, it's very abstract. Grant Morrison introduced this type of idea called super sanity, where it's as if every day Joker transforms his mind to whatever situation is around him. So he he's his mindset is always changing, which kind of keeps him in a perpetual thing of insanity. It makes him crazy. And And it's interesting because Grant Morrison wanted to make him even more extreme, have him kind of dress drag in a way and have different makeup. But then the editors were like, no, it's already a little much and let's take it back a bit. But the way that all of the rogues are presented and even Batman himself, he just looks like a massive black figure and it's all kind of matted into the formation of Arkham itself. Everyone is within Arkham is the whole control system of everything in the comic. You learn more about Jeremiah Arkham and that backstory and how and dealing with his mother and everything. And it's all very dramatic. But the building itself the characters how batman is presented and even just little details like the lettering of the characters each character has a type of letter within their bubble box and what i love is that joker he doesn't have that bubble he only has just the words and they're kind of splattered oh yeah they're red yes they're like red and it's dripping and it's it almost feels just chaotic, just the words that he speaks. and
0: Yeah, I think you'd go insane almost reading it.
1: Right, and it's one of my favorite reads. And last year, in 2014, it celebrated its 25th anniversary. And I actually got... A cop, my 25th anniversary edition signed by Grant Morrison at oh Meltdown. Boy. And it was awesome. Oh, man. I wish I could have talked to him more, but it was There may be very a chance
0: cool. because Segway, he's going to be a kamikaze. <laughs> I know. Guess and more. if you go to kamikazeexpo.com, enter the promo code M E L T, you will get a discount and you can go. Which is awesome. And London will be speaking. <laughs> On a panel.
1: I will. On Halloween. So
0: Yeah, come out and support (laughs) because London can't decide whether she wants to go trick-or-treating or (laughs) or be a kamikaze.
1: But I think kamikaze is winning me over Uh, for sure. I'm sure
0: people will (laughs) bring you some candy if that's the issue. (laughs) so this is a good one how could how could you get this because i want to get this one and what would you recommend because i don't know that i'm going to be able to get the 25th anniversary one unless i go on ebay or something is there any way to get it easier
1: you they should be selling them at comic shops. even if you don't get the 25th anniversary there's a 15th anniversary edition too you can get on amazon ebay and you can it's it's not hard to get. It's okay. not a hard find. They might maybe some copies at Meltdown, down. Okay, too. okay. So I have to. I think everyone yeah, should check. I guess
0: that's what I should have asked. For <laughs> the thought of first.
1: But everyone, I think, should first check their local comic book shops because you might they might have a copy
0: or. And how many pages is this one?
1: This one is. Let's see.
0: I mean, it's bigger than a regular comic.
1: It is. I think it's about ninety pages. Okay. So it's it's one story, which, like I said, usually one shots are a little bit longer, but it's it's definitely worth a read. And from Grant Morrison's writing, which I always think is brilliant because I think he really – he even said that he was – inspired by Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns that came out a few years before, but he wanted to bring to comics a different type of Batman. And so he really went into the mind of Batman, and it's kind of, in a way, a psychological thriller, in a sense, which, at the time, comics weren't like that. Comics, you had the bad guy, and then the good guy stops him and saves the day, but this really gets into the mindset of characters that have been around for decades. And just with that, and then McKean's multimedia type of art with lots of symbolism and just dark figures and shadows, and it really captures each character, I think, brilliantly. And it came
0: out in 89, and I think that's probably when Grant Morrison was, you know, doing some really incredible stuff. Right. So.
1: Yeah, so... Yes, Arkham Asylum. I guess he's always been doing incredible stuff. But <laughs> I tend
0: to think some of his earlier stuff was really incredible. Yeah. And some of the more recent stuff, I'm still, I still need to take time to read. It's hard to – maybe I'm a simple-minded comic reader, but he's very
1: you – know, I read his multiversity, and, yeah, it takes time, but I, it's really good. Yeah. So I'm excited. I'm always excited for him to put out more So
0: he's riding quite a wave.
1: (laughs) So, yes, the fourth one shot is A Serious House on Serious Earth. Grant Morrison, Dave McKean, definitely a a read that any Batman fan should take to check out for sure.
0: All right. Number three.
1: (laughs) Okay, number three. We're moving along on the timeline, but this is an important book. Not just because of the character, but just because it's with it's within an important story arc. And that is Batman Harley Quinn. That's a one shot. It was written by Paul Dini. And just to give a little backstory, I know there are tons of Harley Quinn fans out there. But as most of us know, Harley Quinn was created by... Paul Dini and Bruce Timm for the television show Batman: The Animated Series. She debuted in September of 1992 in the episode Joker's Favor. She was supposed to be just a walk-on role, just a sidekick to Joker, but they really liked her character and wanted to keep her on, and so she stayed on the show. And is, then, is
0: this that? Is this the famous cover that's done by Alex Ross?
1: Yes, for Batman Harley Quinn. Okay. Yes, the 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 tango one, yes. Alex Ross did the cover.
0: He crushed it.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and he actually made a print that's kind of a that's kind of like what happens next this year. Right. For I think it was for I think it was for San Diego, and it was Batman splitting them up. Oh and boy! And it's actually a really, really brilliant piece. I didn't pick up the print, but. But I still think that the tango one by itself—that's iconic. Just it always will be, whether it has a follow-up or not. But Harley from the t- from the TV show became popular, and then a year later, she made her first appearance in comic books. Period in Batman Adventures number twelve, September 1993. So within a year. And then, following in February, I think ninety four, her origin story came out, and Paul Dini and Bruce Tim, wrote it and illustrated it, and it's Bat Bat the New Batman Adventures Mad Love, and you learn that she was a psychiatrist in Arkham Asylum, and she and B- and Joker was a patient, and they f- and she fell in love, and the whole process where she turns and breaks them out of arkham and she be- becomes not Harley quinzel but harley quinn so she's one of the very few characters that went from one medium that's not comics all the way into comic books and that's why batman harley quinn is important it came out in october 99 because this is technically her first time in batman comic book continuity oh
0: boy you know what's interesting what year again was that i'm sorry
1: The Batman Harley Quinn? Yeah. 99.
0: So Batman starts off, and they introduced Robin. Right. Then there's Superboy for Superman. There's Kid Flash for Flash. There's Wonder Girl for Wonder Woman. Yes. All these sidekicks. And they never came out with a sidekick for a bad guy. And then it seems like Harley Quinn is that sidekick. Is that sidekick, This is the young apprentice kind of taking on the role of crazy assistant to Joker.
1: Right. And you don't, and you're right. You don't see that. You don't see that with Riddler or Penguin or Two-Face. I don't, I don't think you saw that with any, any any DC criminal. Isn't that kind of
0: weird that it took all those years, I guess maybe early on there was some bad mojo about introduce making kids bad. I don't know.
1: They wanted to enforce more of the, you want to be on the good side, you want to be the sidekick of the hero, not the villain. Right. That's a total possibility. Yeah. I
0: guess as, <laughs> as people evolve in their, I guess, I don't understand. I don't know what was the reason that made it all of a sudden right and why they stayed away from it so long. But it is interesting because I'm, I'm looking at that cover with Harley Quinn and Joker, and I'm thinking, she is just a young teenage sidekick. Right, and that's what Robin was, and everyone gets all weird about Robin. <laughs> I haven't heard one anybody say, "Oh, this is you know, uh, uh, you know, um, statutory rape." Right. Uh, they, no one's making that saying that Joker's messing with Harley Quinn.
1: Right, and even so, even that's kind unless of unless Mason is. Well, he is sleeping with Harley Quinn. D- did he? It's uh, it's imp. Yeah, it's definitely oh, okay. implied, and that's why.
0: <laughs> All right, Mason is saying that there's openly open discussions about Harley. Okay, well, it, no, I guess because he's crazy, he gets a pass. I guess, well, you know what? He's done so much bad stuff. I guess it just doesn't right, matter and... anymore. No,
1: she's a she's a type she's, of she's, she does look like a she's teenager. like in her early. Well, she's like in her early 20s, technically. All right, so she's a Because she kind of went to... She's in the grad school
0: age range. She does seem like a teenage sidekick. And
1: even in the animated series, it's implied that they have a romantic relationship. But then again, you also see that there's domestic violence because Joker slaps her around and throws her around. And yet everyone loves this couple. And that's always been it's so very weird. weird. Cause even though, yes, I, the idea of Joker and Harley and how they look, Oh, that's cute. But then again, Joker probably beats her. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's interesting how people still are so enamored with this couple even though they give off a lot of bad vibes <laughs> right I guess
0: when you're considered a bad guy you can just do bad they're like things. oh well yeah. he's a
1: bad guy so of course he would do that but if it was like Batman was with Vicki Vale and then he just slaps her I'd be like oh that's awful yeah. I don't know yeah. but it, it's
0: no one's outraged a joker
1: right <laughs> No one's surprised. They
0: want him to do the craziest stuff possible.
1: They do. They—that's part of his, I suppose, charm. I think. I mean, Hank Pym slapped his wife, and people wouldn't read Ant-Man comics for a few years after that. Yeah, right? that's true. Yeah. Yeah. But I just—I just want to say that there is a very
0: strong faction of people that lobby that harlequin should leave the joker and that's did a whole series where she did leave him and teamed up with poison ivy and they did this like girl's power and then there was hints of romantic tension between poison and uh, between poison ivy and harlequin but watching harlequin go back to the joker everyone was like no no and so there was friction on, on that right so there is some parenting groups out there signing petitions
1: Right. And even <laughs> and even later, when Maybe. DC did Gotham City Sirens and it was Harley Quinn, Poison Ivy, and Catwoman, they were like, you shouldn't go back to Joker. He did this and this and that. But then in the end, she goes back to him. So it's, I think they've played around with the fact that Harley and Joker's relationship is rather toxic. And they've done stories where Harley is by herself. But... Somehow, she still loves Joker and many times goes back. Hey,
0: Charles Manson has girlfriends.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Then they do Suicide Squad. Right. And so, Yeah,
0: Suicide Squad. I I can't wait to hear about that because I have...
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) I mean, it... Yeah, I don't
1: know. Yeah, so that'll actually be interesting because even in the comics, she... She's on her own, and even in her own publication right now, in Harley Quinn. She's by herself. She's not with the Joker. She's even had boyfriends, and she she's off on her own thing. But when she first came out in the 90s, right. she was all Joker. It wasn't... It, that was her pudding. There was nothing else. Pudding. And she, and That's she, her thing. Yeah. Huh? So, so, yes, this character that came out in a TV show is now canon within comics, and this issue batman harley quinn that was a one shot that was part of the year-long saga of batman no man's land and so they placed her into this kind of series and they retold her origin story in a way she was still psychiatrist Harley quinzel and then she met the Joker and fell in love and then she helped him escape and then Jeremiah Arkham who was in charge who's in charge of Arkham saw what she did and locked her up in solitary confinement and she believed that Joker would come back for her say oh no he's coming back for me he loves me and for the longest time he didn't and then when the huge earthquake happened which is part of the cataclysm going into no man's land and Arkham was broken apart and she was freed she went on a mission to find joker and that's when she really transformed into harley quinn and then once that happened she finds joker and they go into this seemingly whimsical love affair and she's completely smitten and then he just turns on her and sends her away because he's like, you being here is not good for me, pretty much, which is interesting. And he sends her off into this old amusement park rocket and shoots her away. And it lands in a Gotham City park where Poison Ivy finds Harley. And she brings her back to her place. And so that's when Harley tells Poison Ivy the story. And she's like, Joker's bad for you. And she heals her. And that's where... You see, what she keeps for the, the next decade or so, she heals her and she gives her the ability to not um, be, to not be influenced by any poisons and she gives her extra strength and more agility and she becomes a stronger person and Poison Ivy gives her those powers in a way. So, of course, Poison Ivy is not afflicted with any poisons. And so now Harley isn't. And they go, and they try to fight the Joker. And then Batman's fighting the Joker, and they're all fighting together. But then in the end, when Harley is so mad, and she literally, with her newfound strength, beats Joker to a pulp, he's like, I'm sorry. And she's like, that's okay. And... (laughs) And pretty much she forgives him and they just go on. And I think that, so while we were talking about their relationship, it's that factor, it's that he'll slap her around, he'll shoot her in a rocket to kill her and everything. But if he says, I'm sorry, she's like, oh, that's okay. And everything's fine. Now, like we said, Joker is, A bad guy and we know he can do bad things and people like when he does horrible acts and everything but the relationship that Harley and Joker have is a very, is a very interesting one to say the least and the reaction people have to their relationship. I mean, I have people who follow the blog that anytime I post anything Harley and Joker related, they're like, oh, that's the relationship I want. And I'm like, no, no, you don't. Wow. So it's so that dynamic has always fascinated me. But this
0: this um, is a good start to get into Harley Quinn. Yes. It sounds very complex as character.
1: Yes. I always recommend Mad Love because that's her first origin story and everything but Batman Harley Quinn if you really are a Harley Quinn fan this is definitely a book to read and it's her first introduction into the Batman mythos that she's still in today and it's and a the great cover story. is awesome and of course the cover is amazing Alex Ross always does incredible work and that yeah that's a that's a really great standalone story even though it is connected within, within No Man's Land which in in all is a great story. An mm-hmm. episode we'll definitely have to have soon because No Man's Land is an incredible tale. Huge crossover. Everyone's involved. You get to see everyone's side and it's it's a really great storytelling.
0: All right. <laughs> number four. Or are we counting the we're, other way? Well let's yeah, see. no, we've done two. we've
1: done three, so we're on number four. Yeah, number four. Um the next one I wanted to add in because First of all, it's by Stan Lee, and Uh-oh. <laughs> and of course, when people are with Stan Lee, they're like, it's more of a comic, so it's not DC comics, and we can't like both. And there are people who have to pick sides for some reason. But Stan Lee, in two thousand one, he decided to do a thirteen issue miniseries. Each one was a one shot, so they weren't connected to one another. So you can pick up one issue and read it and be completely in fine it wasn't all connected but he wanted to reimagine some of dc comics most iconic heroes and so the series was called just imagine and
0: just imagine stanley's batman
1: yes and so he reimagined batman and he wrote the story and it the art was by joe Kubert, and it's he was very heavily influenced. I I know he even said this on the original Batman by Bob Kane and Bill Finger. Very influenced on how they wanted to present this figure within the DC universe. But Stanley, with all of his characters, even when he was creating Spider-Man and Fantastic Four back in the 60s, he wanted them to have that realistic quality of they're a human just like you and me and we all have the same problems and yet they rise to the occasion and they're heroes and he i think with each of the characters he did he applied that and so this batman is not bruce wayne he's wayne williams and that's kind of a play on how he does peter parker and all of those characters yeah
0: reed richards bruce banner Yes, he so. said that was an easy way to remember the name.
1: <laughs> and well, it is He's Matt sure. Murdock, <laughs> exactly. So all of his reimagined, I'm pretty sure, follow the same formula. Wayne Williams. Wayne Williams. Wayne Williams is African American, which, of course, that that is different for obvious reasons. And but he is in his peak physical he's he's in his peak physical prime pretty much and a tragic thing happens he's framed for his father's murder by this man um and he's sent to prison and in prison he meets this scientist named Frederick Grant and he helps him kind of train his mind since his body was at peak perfection and so he spends time in prison and then once he's released he wants to fight and find the man and avenge his father's death and then he learns that his mother died and so he's there's still those tragic elements of batman at who will become Batman losing his family and him wanting to avenge their death. And so he needs to get money to kind of put a costume together and do all of like the gadgets and everything, which the scientist Frederick Grant, he helps him with supplies and gadgets and all of the stuff that we know that Batman has kind of helps his utility belt type thing. But Wayne uh, Williams starts to become a wrestler, a fighter to gain money and he's known as Batman. And the way that this Batman's design, he looks more like a, a bat, ma- a man, man bat character in a way. It's very like he's a bat, which I think I think is really cool because I always imagine it's kind of like the Kelly Jones type thing. You Think of it as like horrifying, or you look at it at its core. Like, he is dressing like a bat, so why not have him literally look like a bat? Like, the
0: actual. Become the bat. He,
1: he's becoming the bat. And so he's gaining money by wrestling as a Batman, and he's becoming well known. But then he says that he has to go and find the man that framed him for his father's murder. And his mother's death, and they finally meet, they fight, and yet the man falls to his death. So even though he has avenged his father, he still decides that he wants to fight crime and bring justice to his city whenever he can, and so then he becomes Batman. And so that's Stan Lee's version of Batman.
0: So what do you think of it? You liked it?
1: I actually liked it. I think it's a different look At Batman, because it's usually he has all of the money and technology and everything supplied to him, and then he uses his brilliance and all of that to be Batman. But this with Wayne Williams, he had to go to prison and then he had to fight to actually get money, to be Batman. And it's kind of that sh- internal struggle that I see a lot in Stanley's characters. That's one of the reasons why I'm a fan of Spider-Man, because I love Peter Parker. He, right. There's always something going on. He has to pay rent. He has to get right. at May Milk. He has to keep a job. He has to do all of these things just to survive, right. but then and he And then decided. he still goes out. Right, and then he still goes out, and then he's still the hero that the city needs.
0: So let me ask you this, then, because I obviously, I love Stan Lee. I don't think there's a comic book fan that can really disrespect the man. If you do, you just don't know your history. I mean, the guy <laughs> is so important, and right. I give him the utmost respect, and I think the foundation he's laid is... I, I thank him for it because if it weren't for what he did, I don't know that I would enjoy comics as much as I do. But as he got older, it seemed as if his style of writing still kind of remained the same. It didn't, there was a certain point, it seemed, and then any new stuff that he was coming out with, mm-hmm. it seemed to be almost 19. 19- Sixty-ish right. type of style, and I I remember reading these. Just imagine v- vaguely. I don't. Rem- I did buy them because I wanted to see what I mean. Stanley take on DC. That's you got to read it. Right. I don't, just don't. Think, <laughs> but I do remember feeling. I don't remember the stories, but I do remember feeling that I just didn't like his writing styles much or anymore. I or not mm-hmm. like. I just didn't enjoy it as much. It felt like I was reading a nineteen. 60, late 60 comic book. Is is that a fair feeling? Is that, is that, do you, did you feel that? Is that what maybe? Yeah,
1: I do think that he stays within his writing style. It's not updated. Where right. a lot of, where a lot of writers, I think would, they still have their own unique way, but they kind of keep up with the time, I suppose. And, right. but, but I think that's just how stanley is i think right. he just will always kind of write in that way and so maybe that's I the charm of li- it perhaps and a lot of people love his writing but then other people they always want the new and want it to change so i think it's all it all depends on how the i think in the end how the characters represented but, like
0: but when you read it you were down with it
1: i read it i liked it because it was different because it was a definitely a different take on Bruce Wayne. Not just Batman because visually right. he's different, but on Batman himself and how it, it was way more of a hassle, a struggle, a lot of things he had to deal with. And not saying that the Bruce Wayne we read every day doesn't, but in a different way, I think Stanley just formed it in a different way. And I so
0: would you like to see a grant morrison or scott snyder interpretation of wayne williams
1: oh that would be really cool i i would like i think i think scott snyder could do a wayne williams pretty well i think he Mm. i think that would be really good grant morrison i think he would make it even more outside the box than it already is which would be cool right but i think scott snyder would do all right so
0: who would do the best reinterpretation of wayne williams in your opinion
1: in my opinion, if we're going with recent, I think I think Scott Snyder could. Okay, I think that would be I think that would be a good one. I think um, he would try to capture what Wayne Williams is going through, and I think it can be really down to earth. I think his writing, in a way, can can do that. So yeah, would
0: there it, be a uh, a black writer that you would want to see do Wayne Williams?
1: Probably, <laughs> and it doesn't even
0: doesn't need to. It be It doesn't that? need
1: to be okay, but that would be interesting just to see how how they would capture it because I think any writer, but yeah i i, I would I would be interested in seeing that because I think they would have a really Interesting take on it. Yeah, yeah. So I, yeah. So I, would, I think so. I would. Ha- I have to think of what what creative team I would put on that.
0: All right, that's you got to come back to me. I with do. That. I will. I will. All right. <laughs> Give me our last All one right, shot.
1: Or yeah, our last one shot, and that is Batman Noel and Noel. Yes. It is sounds Christmassy. It is Christmassy, which and that's why it's interesting because there are a, a lot of Batman Christmas stories. I mean, each year they would come out with a Batman comic that was Christmas. It had Santa, or he was a crook, or something. But this story, it's not just the story itself, but it's the illustration, and they're both done by Lee Bermijo, who I love. His, his his art oh
0: ridiculous yes. art this man has
1: crazy and it's the graphic novel it's 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 a pretty thick novel it's one hundred and twelve pages one shot 'll we'll stick with one shot and it came out in November two thousand eleven it's right before was like right when pre new fifty two ended it came out around that time and then we have the new fifty two and everything changes and we don't get to see a lot of one shots anymore. Some came, some have come out in the past few years, but this one is probably one of the last ones, and it's influenced on Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, which is awesome for any literary buffs out there because I'm a fan of Charles Dickens myself. And it is, and it's an interesting story. It's Batman is of course it always feels like. He's trying to get the Joker. And I love Joker. I really do. But sometimes I want to see him try to get someone else. (laughs) Yeah. But the dynamic of Batman and Joker is always so neat to see. It's always so awesome to see what's going to happen. So Batman is trying to track down the Joker. And he is tracking a father and son. The father works for Joker, but he doesn't know where he is. So... Batman goes to the Batcave and he has a tracker on the father and son and it's Christmas Eve and Alfred says, you know, maybe you need to take a break because you're not looking very well. And he reminds him that this led to you losing Jason. And so in this story, within this continuity, Jason Todd recently died. So that's already interesting that they put Jason Todd as his last Robin, and he didn't choose anyone else. So it's it's interesting. They don't really link it to that Joker killed Jason or anything or death of the family or anything like that. It was just that he lost someone, and he lost his type son, I suppose. But, of course, Batman being Batman – He doesn't care. And so he goes out on patrol, and then he comes across these characters trying to find Joker, the first being Commissioner Gordon, and he is represented as a ghost of Christmas past in a way. And you kind of have a flashback moment, and he's giving him intel on the Joker. And then as he's grappling through Gotham, he runs into Superman, who is... In a way, the Ghost of Christmas present, and Superman informs him that he needs to stop what he's doing because Superman can see that he has pneumonia and that he's really sick and he just needs to stop. But of course, Batman being stubborn, he's like, No, I can't. So then Batman goes and then he goes to his Batmobile, and then there's this huge explosion, and it's of course thanks to Joker and Batman kind of passes out, and then he sees that Joker's there, who is represented as the ghost of Christmas future, I suppose, and he buries Batman alive in the cemetery on Christmas Eve. And then you get to the part which is my favorite part of the comic, is Batman wakes up from being unconscious. He sees that he's buried in this grave, and he goes through all of these sequences, and he kind of has this type of epiphany that ever since jason todd died his take on justice and fighting and doing what he does in gotham has been very one-sided and he doesn't really see what it all means it's more black and white in a sense i suppose um and then he digs his way out of the grave and then he comes and fights Joker, and he saves the father and son because they were in Joker's capture, and then the father and son in the story, and they have a good Christmas, and of course it's it's one of those where it ends well, and Christmas is saved in a way. And even though the story is set at, at, during Christmas, it's still a really good Batman story. You have the very stylized art by Bermuda, but then you have this kind of a uh, fantastical story you have the ghosts of christmas past present and future and you have these sequences that within the story you wouldn't think that the writing and the illustrations would match but within this tale, Bermuda does a really great job and i think it's right i think now it's kind of a current Batman classic. And like I said, it's a one shot. It's a story you can pick up, you can read. You don't have to go in reading anything else. And even if it's not during Christmas time, it's a really great Batman story to read.
0: Wow. <laughs> I will say this, though, that art is absolutely f- It's like a painting each panel. Yes. It All is right. stunning. Well, there you go. There's five one shots that listeners should check out. Uh, Amazon. Meltdown. Yep. Your com- all your comic, all shops comic shops have them. Yes. Well, I go to comic book shops first. <laughs> Definitely. Amazon. Sorry, guys.
1: Yeah, go to the comic book shops first, and then if for some reason you Meltdown have, will me order ready. it. Yes. All right. So <laughs>
0: now, can you give me a, some of that Dark Knight Three news? Uh, let's see. What are you giving me?
1: Well, first of all, I'm just thrilled at the fact that there are so many DC Comics artists that are participating in this conclusion. There are over thirty variants to Dark Knight Three The Master Race, number one. That's insane. That's the covers, right? The covers. And
0: is it this they're doing store exclusives? Yes,
1: they're store exclusives. So and it's all over it's all over the country and it's even in London and in Canada. They have it's it's insane. There have there hasn't been that many variants, even when they celebrate the 75th anniversary of Joker, Catwoman or anybody or do special DC variants. They're not even that many. It's always like 20, but people from what I've read in interviews and things, they wanted to be a part of this when they found out that they were going to do it, that Frank Miller was going to do a conclusion to The Dark Knight. They wanted to be part of something so iconic. So just that alone, the art is the art that I've seen has been amazing, whether they capture Batman or Carrie Kelly or Batman riding on the horse or Batman and Superman or even Batman and Joker, which I've seen great art with that. it's That alone is, I believe, newsworthy. But then, speaking of variants, Frank Miller, he came out with two covers back-to-back, the first being a mini comic because for dark night three there's going to be eight main stories but then there are going to be mini stories within the pages and it's monthly so there's going to be many arcs in a way and it's going to be part of the dark night universe and also which really made me happy which i, I don't think i told you was that they want to add to all-star Batman and that's what I've been waiting for because I was like okay it's the Dark Knight universe so that means all-star Batman can be part of it and Jim Lee said that him and and Frank Miller want to do something with that so I'm so excited and I really hope that happens because I was so bummed that it didn't continue um but so Frank Miller he did a cover for a mini comic it's The Dark Knight Universe presents The Atom and it showcases Superman and you see the bat sig- the bat symbol in the sky with Atom with the Atom and people w- were not huge fans of Frank Miller's stylized character in a way it looked in kind of cartoonish but that's in a way Frank Miller's art style cuz if you look at The Dark Knight strikes again he illustrated that series and it's and it's somewhat in that style too and i think people they forget that okay well for me Frank Miller's writing is amazing, but I think that if he has to illustrate someone else, maybe would be by his side illustrating, which right. they already are, because Klaus Jansen is penciling. Oh no, he's inking, and then Alex and is doing the colors. Kubert, so, right? Yeah, and then Andy Kubert for the um, yeah for the main comics right. is doing it. So he so he's already he's just doing the he just did a little bit of art, but yeah. people are having a problem. (laughs) Well,
0: I I guess if you're not doing something that people are annoyed with, you're probably not doing anything great. And this Frank Miller is really just about to blow the socks off of everybody, whether we want them in a good way blown off or in a bad way. It doesn't matter. I mean, the amount of hype that is surrounding this is unparalleled, I think, to any book I've seen maybe since the... X-Men number one years ago by Jim Lee.
1: Yeah, uh, he- it's every week they DC is really trying to, like you said, they're trying to hype it up, and
0: they got a slipcase three, yes. a, a big a variant that way. Mm-hmm. Like we talked about, the variant covers for each comic book store to reward them, right? Uh,
1: and they're coming out with just all kinds of editions and everything. Yeah, it's, so much
0: it's, for it. It's a lot. It's a little bit of. I'm sure for the collector it's overload their mind is probably <laughs> yes. going bananas right now <laughs> but I think it's a great thing because here's what I've done I have picked up Dark Knight you know Dark Knight returns to mm. reread it and I can imagine that I'm not the only one Right and if I if I don't have it I do have it but <laughs> if I am someone out there that doesn't have it I'm going to go read it. I'm going to go read that one and his second one, the strikes again, right. which Shadow Adam doesn't like very much. But I don't <laughs> think many people did, but either way, I want to read it cuz I want to know where we're going. Right. I want a refresher.
1: Right. And so, you don't re- and they've kept hidden really what the plot of this arc's going to be, but still you want to read the first one, you want to read the second one, because it's it's the conclusion to that series. Oh, yeah. So I think in November, stores, and it's going to blow up, because people are going to, if they don't have it, they're going to buy it, and they're going to read it. So they want to get prepared for the end yeah. of November. Well, I think
0: it's good for the comic <laughs> book industry as a whole. Anytime you can you know, get people interested right. into the comic book store, buying comics... You know, let's do it. Let's get them there.
1: And I think um, just another reason why this may be so popular is because it's part of the Dark Knight Returns universe. And Dark Knight Returns is a big deal right now because everyone is waiting for Batman versus Superman, which that's the influence for it. So it all kind of comes together in a way. I think anything now that refers to the Dark Knight Returns, even people who haven't read it, they're like, that's the suit that Ben Affleck It's all hyped together, so... It's it's,
0: coming back. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, that wraps up another episode, I believe. All right. Of the history of the Batman with London. (laughs) What are we going over next week?
1: Next week, we are going to talk about Batman live-action movies and the comic books that inspired them, because... The movies just don't come out of thin air, especially for superhero characters. And so we're going to see what Batman comics really made the movies that you guys love.
0: Ooh, that's cool. That is cool. All right. Well, I will look forward to asking you lots of questions about that. (laughs) Uh, If anyone else wants to ask you lots of questions, how best can they do that?
1: they can email me at historyofthebatman at gmail.com. If you want to add one-shots that you think should have been in the top five or anything, if you want to request an episode topic or you just have any questions, you can definitely email me at historyofthebatman at gmail.com. You can de- message me on instagram.com historyofthebatman on Twitter at twitter dot com slash hist of the Batman and on Facebook at Facebook dot com slash history of the Batman. But definitely email. I always check in. And I always thank everyone who I I still get emails all the time, which is crazy. I get lots of positive feedback and I'm so happy you guys are listening. So thank you so much for the support. So yeah, email me, history of the Batman at gmail dot com.
0: Any shout outs, any uh Followers that have let you know some nice stuff in the most recent history? There are
1: tons of people. But for the next episode, I do have a couple that I do want to give shout-outs to because they helped me shape the next episode, which is why I always ask you guys to email me or give me topics because I listen to all of them. And there's so much Batman to talk about. It's endless. So please... Email me, talk to me, let me know what you guys think.
0: Yeah, I'd like to uh, shout out at Kate Kelton. She she was bigging up the history of the Batman on Twitter, so follow awesome. her. Awesome. Thank, thank you. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> she favorited one of our things. Sweet. Yeah. So anyway, everybody out in podcast land, thank you for listening. This has been The History of the Batman with London, presented by Meltdown Comics. I'd like you all to do me a favor and look at MeltComics.com to see what is going on at Meltdown. You can get on the mailing list. There's emails that are coming out weekly now that kind of break down everything that's happening at the store There are free ticket giveaways. There are some great concerts. We're partnering with Golden Voice. And I'm telling you, there are some incredible shows, including a Chris Hardwick show, if you know the Nerdist himself. We've also got Meltthology, which is a monthly comics jam that happens at Meltdown every third Tuesday of the month. Basically, you show up at Meltdown at 7 p.m., draw a page of whatever you want at 9.30. The art is collected. When you come back the next month, you'll get a complete zine with everyone's contributions inside. There's no set theme, and all skill levels are welcome. Also, Comics Fix. Binge read your comics. It's a digital monthly subscription platform sort of like the Netflix of comics. Go to that. First month is free, so read, read, read. Also, there's Meltdown University, the school at Meltdown, where they teach you the skills to make comic books. Some of the current classes include creating comics, drawing comics for kids, and the art of inking. Coming soon, there will be classes for short film writing, drawing basics, and kids make zines. Go to MeltComics.com and enroll now. Also, if you love listening to podcasts, check out the Disney Click. It's where everything in the Magic Kingdom is discussed. They talk about Marvel. They talk about Star Wars, but mainly they're talking about Disney and what's going on there. So check out Rick and Briar's at the Disney Click. MeltCast 3.0 is the Meltdown employee talk. Podcast where they get into comics, new comics, old comics. They're starting a book club, and one of their books that they're going to go and feature is The Long Halloween.
1: Yes, actually, on that Meltcast episode, I'm going to be joining them discussing The Long Halloween.
0: Uh oh. So
1: that's going to be awesome. I can't wait for that. Yeah, (laughs) it's a very
0: cool concept. What they're doing is they're essentially having listeners. Get the book, read the book, and then have discussions about the book. And I'm not sure how they're going to do it, but that's why you got to tune into Meltcast 3.0. Also on YouTube, there is the Digital Lizards of Doom. This is Meltdown's very own YouTube show where Gabe and Dan explore all aspects of pop culture. And you've been on that too, London, right?
1: Yep. It's awesome.
0: It is another <laughs> good one. And then we just released Eats and Geeks. Did you get a chance to see that?
1: I did. They're awesome.
0: So Eats and Geeks is Meltdown's cooking show. It's like a bake show with yeah. the first episode is how to make Super Mario Super cupcakes. Mar-
1: yeah, which are so good. Yeah. And <laughs> do you know
0: that the host actually started making cupcakes with beer in them really yeah that's how she i know that's how she started making specialized cupcakes so maybe there'll be some uh, <laughs> beer inspired cupcakes that you can oh, get wow. off off air but in the meantime <laughs> it's going to be geek related eatery nice. so yeah check that out as well all right I think that's about it for the announcements. Mason Booker, thank you once again for engineering and co-producing. I'm Adam Silverstein. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll see you next week in London.
1: Peace, love, and Batman.